I like the attitude. Just do it. Don't get yeah. hung up in like the how, right? Just do it. You'll figure yeah, it out as you right. go. Thank you so much for joining this growth support conversation. I'm Neil, and today I'm joined by Mary Beth, the knowledge goddess over at Knowledge Owl and the chief executive owl. How are you? I'm doing really good. I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much. Um, today we wanted to dive into creating our first help center, getting it off the board. A little bit of context. I'm going through a big knowledge management shift within my organization right now. So for me, it's like, I want to pull as much information as possible and dive in and see where we're going. A few years ago, I created our V1 knowledge base. I was like, okay, we're just going to do it. We're going to build it. We're going to throw all the sections together. We're going to organize it as best as possible. Uh, very lost when I was doing that. And now we're building out V2 and we're organizing it in such a way and trying to really make it go along the customer journey. But I'm really excited to hear from you, your experience, more about Knowledge Owl, where you're coming from. How did you get into knowledge management? That's a lot. But yes, I'll start with the last one. Is knowledge I didn't even know knowledge management was a thing, by the way. Like my background is in support. Like I, I used to be a teacher and then I did a little career shift and like somehow convinced a software company back in 2009 to give me a job as a support hero. Um, <laughs> and then somehow found my way, sort of working my way up through leadership. And I ended up taking over like an internal product. It was called Help Gizmo, and it was going to be like a help desk solution for support, which was my jam, like supports my jam. Like, yeah, I want to help with that product and do that. Didn't quite get off the ground, but we sort of pivoted and started using it for both internal like support team knowledge. And then we started using it for our customers. And then the CEO was like, maybe we could bring this to market. So I took over and ended up bringing Help Gizmo to market. Um, and at, at that point, I was I was I was the help goddess, but now are <laughs> and now are the survey goddess, help goddess, and now I'm the knowledge goddess. So I've worked my way up through different goddessing. But yeah, so like we decided just to do knowledge base because we were actually at first we were using like WordPress for like a knowledge base, and then we we're using the built-in Zendesk knowledge base, and then we started using what is now Knowledge Owl as our knowledge base back at that old company. So like, I really came from a support background. I didn't know knowledge management was a thing. I didn't know there were help authoring tools. The only thing I was familiar with was like WordPress and the Zendesk built-in one. So I sort of like, something we're just I can write in. Go. <laughs> yeah. So we're like, why don't we just create like a tool that is specific for like support people who are trying to build knowledge bases. So um, apparently these things already existed. We reinvented the wheel a little bit, but that's sort of how I got into it. And then when I tried to find, okay, what are other knowledge base tools? I realized that there was this whole category of tools called knowledge management tools. And that was my first like foray into knowledge management. But since then, like we brought it as like a support tool and we're like, you can use it for your team and your software product documentation. Then people started signing up and wanting to use it for like internal playbooks, policy and procedure manage, uh, manuals, resource centers for like their clients or audience. So people started using it for all different things, which was sort of, I learned about knowledge management from our customers who were like using our tool to do knowledge management. It's so yeah. much, it's so interesting how you can really get so much insights from, hey, I'm build a tool this way, but people are using it in a really different way. <laughs> yeah. And I, now yeah. how can we My background is not that? in this. Yeah, I just like helping people. And like, it just turns out that I started helping people who were doing knowledge management and they're the ones that taught me 
hey, knowledge management exists. Hey, this thing called KCS exists. Hey, like all of this stuff. And I'm like, oh, look at all these things. Hey, there's a community called Write the Docs. Great community, by the way, if you're looking to set up your first help center. Yeah. Perfect. And so for people who are, you've seen a lot of people go through this journey. So I'm really excited to dive in and see how that journey looks like just from, from start to finish and kind of building it out. Um, where do you get started? You're like, okay, I want to help customers get self-service. We want to give them information at their fingertips. Where do you start? This is the overwhelming part, right? You've been there, right? And you just don't know, like, it is such a, sometimes it feels like a big thing and it's not super urgent. So it's sort of hard to figure out. We recently did some like customer research and really started like trying to like zero in, like bucket people into what they were doing. And we found it sort of falls into three camps. And like one of the camps of people is like they literally do not have a knowledge base, right? Like they have just been answering questions. They're like going to emails, they're asking their team members, they have a Slack channel, but like there literally is nothing written down that people can go, you know, look at. There's no documentation. So that's actually a thing which is surprising, <laughs> but like it's more common than you would think that people just don't have anything. And that's like, where do you start? I think more common, I see a lot of, you know, especially in like software product space, right? Like there's people, they have a V1. There was like documentation that was written three years ago. There was a PDF that was written by like the founder or CEO, right? Or like you have something that you started working on and it's sort of gotten abandoned. So oftentimes there is some documentation somewhere, but it's kind of a hot mess. You know? Don't look and at my drafts. Like... Okay, don't look at my drafts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of hot mess documentation. The third thing is sort of like the homegrown thing, like the people who like build it into the two, like they have great plans and like the developers do the documentation. There's like built in help stuff, but it's like not a separate thing that people can access. It's sort of like built into the product or system. And there is, you know, there's documentation is just not in a help center or knowledge base. So depending on where you're coming from, it's still sort of like it, it's difficult either way. Um, but I think we were talking about this earlier and before we started, but it was, it's just, where do you start? And sometimes you just have to do something. I find and when I'm having this conversation, especially with people who are coming from the support side, because generally, and this is not always true, you know, generally people will already be using a tool for support, you know, whether that's Zendesk or Help Scout or Freshdesk, they're often using a tool. Sometimes they're still using Google or like Gmail or they're using something else. Occasionally that is also true. They do not have a tool yet. But my first thing I usually tell people is if you have a tool, most of those tools have a built-in knowledge base. And when you are small and when you're growing a team, don't like having too many tools like is not helpful, right? Like I think that's the joy of some of these like all-in-one solutions, you know, whether it's Zendesk or Freshdesk or Help Scout is that you can have all of these different components and add them as you're growing and stay in the same ecosystem. And it makes things easier, especially when you're a small team or a team of one trying to build things out and everything plays nicely together. So that's usually the first place I tell people to look because that's usually the easiest place to get started. Um, we we yeah. have, uh, we're migrating. We just migrated our V1 from HubSpot over to Help Scouts because we're using Help Scout for our service center. Yep. And there you go. One of the big reasons was, hey, like all of our contacts and customer information is in this tool that we're using to have our conversations. Why can't we just search the knowledge base right there and get that information right away and be able to just give it to our customers? I found that a lot of times people are like, hey, we need a tool for this. We need a tool for that. When you're getting started, how do you determine what is going to be that right tool to use 
instead of, hey, do we need a new tool or is this just going to service our needs just fine? Yeah, I think I don't create problems if they don't exist, right? So like if you have a tool and it has a built-in knowledge base and it's doing what you want, if you are already using a tool and like you need to set up a knowledge base and it does what you need it to do. Like I, I struggle with this too because I'm a maximizer. I struggle with decision making because I want to make the best possible decision at all times. But one of my coaches, my finance coach, is like the best decision often includes or like does include simplicity. The best decision includes simplicity. So if it's just easier for you to use the built-in thing and it streamlines your thing, don't overthink it. It's fine. You can always switch tools. It's like not forever, right? You're not like, you know, getting married to a tool. So do what's fast, do what's easy, do what makes sense. You don't necessarily need to research every single decision you make, especially when things are moving fast and you're growing. Um, and like, I think you're right. Like, I think the, the beauty of like having like the built-in help scout one, right? Like it, you're, you're in a help scout, right? And like the tool is there and it already integrates the apps right there. Your agents can search, right? And then if you're using Beacon or other things, like the docs are pulled into that and it's giving you that like better, experience not just for the customers who are using your site but also your agents right because everything is in one place which is sort of the goal of knowledge management right like everything in one place i, I yeah, love I, what you say that like it's simplicity really matters when i went from okay we have the tool we're gonna build it out now we're gonna start writing docs and i'm like our customers need to know everything, everything. i need to document and write everything <laughs> and yeah. i realized like one that workload is super high two yeah. they don't need to know everything they have key problems that need to be solved work simply start simple and go from there yeah i think that there's like a bazillion variations of the 80 20 rule but like you don't need to do 100 percent of the knowledge base you don't need to document 100 percent of the tool like do the 20% of work that covers 80% of like the conversations, right? You don't have to do everything. Um, and I struggle with this with anything. Like I was writing a blog post this week and like, I just couldn't figure out when to stop. Like when, when was it good enough to be like, I'm going to publish it right now, right? Like when is this good enough? Cause you can just keep working on things. But yeah, I think the simplicity in, especially in the early knowledge, like the early building of a knowledge base or a help center. Um, and I'm sure you've had the experience where you go to somebody's help center and it sort of sucks. Right. Like you're like, where is all the, there's like 10 articles. Right. But give people some grace. Like at least they have some articles. But this is this is one of the things I I, I really want to stress. And I got to say, it's not my idea. I heard it in a webinar. It was actually a HubSpot agency of all things. Like it was a HubSpot you know, person saying this. And I think it's true for many. Like tools that you're going to be using, whether it's a CRM or a help desk or a knowledge based tool, you have to think of it as a product and not a project. Because here's what happens. If you think of it like a project, you're gonna say, we need to populate the knowledge base. We need to have 20 or 50 articles, or we need to document the whole thing. Let's go heads down and spend a month or three months and we're just gonna do it all well and good. Check it off the list. What happens? Great, three months later, you have a knowledge base. You know, Six months later, you have a knowledge base where like the content is like 70% right. A year later, you have a knowledge base where the content is like 50% right because you don't have a process for keeping it up to date, right? Like you thought of it like a project, right? Just like the CEO who wrote the documentation three years ago in a PDF and like gave it to you, right? Like never updated it because the people are thinking of it like a project. 
and not a product or like a process. So like figuring out how to make knowledge management and like the knowledge base, not this separate project that just got done once, but to make it part of your process and support, yeah, that's the magic. That's where like you can get into a really good flow to actually build out that help center and like build a really great help center because a really great help center is not built in like one sprint or a day. It is a product. It is a process. It is like a constantly iterating, growing thing, just like any product is. I relate to this story very, very well because for version one, like when I when I first built our first help center, it was like, okay, we launched it. It's good. It's great. Uh, I wrote all the articles. Check. Uh, and I'm like, it's always it's always important for me to have self service because I was the only person doing support. So for me, it was like my co pilot, my help because I need to also help our customers so that I can manage the queue and manage everything that's going on and not get super flooded. And if I can tackle those tier ones, it's great. But because of that, it always got deprioritized. It's like, okay, we wrote some articles, they're there, they exist. I'll point people to them, people find them, it's great. But what does that upkeep look like? What does that actual process look like in terms of can we build it and can we continue that process? So you've chosen a tool. We're going to write some docs. We're going to go 20% of the docs that cover 80% of the conversations. Just going to keep it simple, get it out there. Who maintains it? Who owns that? So ideal, ideal universe, like, right? If you're in an ideal universe, you have somebody that's like the docs person. <laughs> like, how great is that? Like when you have a docs person or a docs team, right? That is 100% great thing. But guess what? Even if you have the ideal universe of a docs team, they can't document any, everything either. Because like documentation is a full-time job. And in any full-time job, you do not get 100% of things done. Like it's just doesn't in, in like the world, like of knowledge workers, like there is always more work to do. So like, it's just. It's a fantasy. So like, it's never going to be 100% documentation coverage. But if someone can own it, if you have buy-in from leadership to like focus somebody on docs, you are very lucky. Right? Like that is a dream universe. That is not the reality in those cases. Docs. I was just in a webinar last week, and someone said like, docs aren't sexy. They're not sexy. A lot of like leaders, and you know, especially in the software world or product worlds, are like, we don't really need documentation. Our product's really good. It's really intuitive. We're just doing the app. Like. They're not going to invest like a full-time salary in somebody to do documentation, right? It's just the reality until a company gets to a certain stage of maturity, they don't think like there needs to be someone. So I mean, if you think me, about it as a product, you need a product yeah. owner, right? Right. That's the product owner, right? Like you need a champion. When people come to Knowledge Owl, one of the questions I'm like, who owns this? Because if they say everyone, I'm like, this is a recipe for disaster, right? When it when it's everyone's responsibility, it's no one's responsibility. Um, so my two cents there, I don't think it's going to work when you try to make it everyone's responsibility, unless for some reason you have a unicorn team where everybody loves writing documentation, but secret, I hate writing documentation. It is like, like I work in knowledge management. Like I support people in knowledge management. I hate writing docs. Right. <laughs> and like, that is just, that is like the 100% truth, but here's the, the benefit. So like strengths lead to weaknesses <laughs> and weaknesses lead sometimes lead to strengths because I don't like like writing docs, when I hire people to help with support, I look for people who love writing documentation and just want to do that. Because if I hire people like me, who just like helping people and like don't mind answering the same question over and over again, because for some reason I don't think to just write it down so that people don't have to keep answering that same question over and over again. Apparently it's not painful enough for me, <laughs> but you know, I hire people that just really love to do it. So like, 
even though you might not have budget to hire, you know, somebody to do documentation, if you hire somebody who loves documentation, they, they might just make it part of their role, right? Somebody who loves and gets their joy and their dopamine hit from being like, I had the support conversation. I wrote a help article and I gave it to that customer. And look, all of these customers are now using that help article and I've prevented all of this support. And somebody that likes that feedback loop, like that is a key hire early on, someone that loves documentation and is not, I'm very much in the one-to-one -one support. I like helping people. I like chatting with people and it doesn't create pain for me to like answer the same thing over and over again, or like it hadn't in the past. So like, I never, like as an individual, I don't prioritize docs. I just prioritize helping people. Some people have that sort of meta, like they can think about this and like want to help the person and also somehow think about everybody else that might have that problem and be like, I'm going to help all those people too by writing a document about this. So yes, I think hiring somebody who loves docs is like just the key thing. But I yeah, always look I think for people for, for internal documentation. I'm always looking for people like during the onboarding process who are like, okay, I'm going to take huge extensive notes on learning through this process. I'm like, why don't you share those? It's so useful. You're writing it already. It's there. <laughs> and for for support people who look at, hey, uh, I can see that I'm answering this question over and over and over again. It's a little bit frustrating. I wish there was an article on it. Hey, why don't you write it? Like it's there. It can help you. You have the power to do that. Yeah, I think. Have you heard of just in time documentation? Not specifically, no. Have you heard of just in time? Methodology. Yeah. So yeah. So the idea is taking that same concept of just in time and applying it to documentation. So in support, you don't you don't like sit there and write all the documentation about your site. You you might not you create your knowledge base, right? Like let's say you don't have any content. Well, like let's not start pointing people to your help center yet. But just in time, when you get a like support request, you say, "Is somebody else going to have this request ever?" If it's likely that it's going to happen again, write it down. And like when you answer, include the link to that. And then you'll see like over time, if you, if you can make that part of your process as say like, I am not going to reply to something without a link to documentation. And yeah, if it's something very truly specific and one-off, yeah, don't write a document that's never gonna happen. But that's rare. <laughs> like you think something's not gonna happen again, it's going to. And the more painful it was and the longer it took to write out, yeah, it's going to happen again. So like writing it down so you don't have to go back and find the old conversation to answer it six months from now can be helpful, but you can start populating it that way. So like it's happening behind the scenes and you'll get to a point where you're like, we've got some good stuff. You can organize it in some basic things. So it actually feels like a resource. And at that point, you can then promote it to folks, right? And say like, hey, we have this help center, but you've been developing it while you're doing support because the support is something you're already doing and it has to keep going. It's just like table sticks, like you're doing support. But if you can build that just-in-time documentation in the process and be putting it into the knowledge base, and then once you get to that critical mass, organize it and then make that knowledge base available, you're good. Um, I love that process. I think it works really well, especially for building it out the first time. Definitely. And you mentioned something specifically like, hey, we've written all these docs, we're starting to get it, we're filling it up. Organization. When you're thinking of organizing your knowledge base to make it findable, searchable, easy to get the answers that you need, there are a lot of ways to organize things. In our first knowledge base, we built it of, these are customers, like this is information for our customers who are looking to purchase, this is for our customers. There's a lot of blend in that. So we're going to put billing and payments in its own thing. And we're going to create kind of their own sections. 
And in our second version, we're now looking at the customer journey. Where are they at in their customer journey? Let's build the base alongside that to where they can go kind of through the path and see, I'm at this stage, I need this information. How do you start defining what is the right way to organize it for your customers? Information architecture is an art. Like people like get like advanced degrees in this. So I don't know, it is, there's science, there's art. And then there's like, you just have to make a decision and just not be married to it, right? Like you iterated and said, look, okay, maybe this isn't the best way. Generally, when bucketing things, like nobody wants to look at a list of like 30 articles in one category. Like that is just like, your eyes just doesn't work that way, right? Like our eyes like like three things in th list of three to five. If you're getting to like seven things in a category, that's feeling like too much. So one thing you can do is just you make a decision about your architecture and then like if you have a category and like you have you know three to five things in it great once you start getting a little deeper then you can say like okay what what other ways we could we organize this so that people could progressively disclose and like make a decision make a sub decision and get to the articles they want so you can sort of use that to sort of start to subdivide but that initial architecture is very tricky and i think people get blocked a lot on it um I love the, I mean, the personas thing, because people can sort of, when, when the, someone goes to your help center, especially if like you can sort of identify different types of your customers, like, oh, this is like an admin, or this is a billing person, or this is a developer, and you can quickly show them like that, and people can say, I self-identify and say like, oh, I'm that person, and they like click on that, and then they can see content that is related to them. I think personas work really well. Customer journeys working well, but I think it's inside the persona. Right, because like for each thing, like whether it's billing or whatever, there's like billing like to start off and the person like purchasing and then there's like ongoing billing things. So like there's like journeys within journeys. It can get complicated really quickly. But what I think you're at is like B2. I think everyone needs to start with like the V1 of their architecture and do whatever is the simplest. Really, like don't overthink it because you're probably going to change it down the line and you should based on like what people are doing. Because then you'll get to a point where you have room to breathe and you can say, let's talk to some people about this. Like, let's figure out like what are like the common reasons or like, I'm a big fan of jobs to be done. It's like, what are people going to our help center to accomplish? Like, what are they going to accomplish and how do we streamline that for them? So that you can sort of really think about it from, you know, the customer experience perspective and then potentially like reorganize things or create new pathways for people to get to the content faster and to be able to successfully self-serve. But like, you don't get there overnight. Like that is something perhaps absolutely later is like, you gotta figure out V1 of your organization. And sometimes if you only have like 10 articles, sometimes it's just an FAQ and it's like one thing you don't have like sections and you add them later. Yeah. Here's Here Techies. it is here. We're gonna build it out. We're gonna start with just putting some docs in there. We're gonna start looking at, hey, what are people actually asking about? What's the most important things for them? and then start to organize it and craft it along those personas and journeys and find what works. But don't don't be married to it, right? Yeah, it's married. always going to change. It's going to change. <laughs> We've been, covered I've all. had to do this in my like life. I've had to say, like, Mary Beth, this isn't an important decision. Like, make it as any decision is good. Move it along, and then you can always change your mind. Because as long as it's not like a permanent decision, like your organization of your knowledge base, it's going to be OK. <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> okay. Can all, <laughs> you can always adjust. You can. We, We've covered a lot so far. So there's big barriers of getting started. One huge blocker. How do I even know what to start documenting and getting started with it and starting to organize it? 
to less of a blocker, but choosing the right tool, you know, use your maximize your existing tools. If it's not meeting your needs, then yeah, you can always look for a solution that does meet your needs. How do you start to craft what goes in there and who owns the knowledge base? It's a product, not a project. Like maybe the initial building is a project, but it needs to go from project to process, right? Don't abandon you need it. somebody to continue <laughs> it. Don't put yeah. it on the back burner. It, it, it deserves to live, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, we're starting to build it out, crafting how to categorize and sectionalize your, your knowledge base. How does Knowledge Owl solve some of these barriers and problems? Good question. So like we make knowledge based software. So people use us to build knowledge based websites. So I mean, in terms of like what people use knowledge all for and like the types of people is people oftentimes like a big part of our customer base are people setting up their very first knowledge base. So like, or they don't have one or they like, you know, had the built in one, the old PDF, and they're looking for a quick way to get in there and set up a knowledge base. So, you know, Part of like the tool, you know, is you know part of the things our customers say about the tool is that it's 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 easy to use. You don't need to be super technical. You don't need to learn like a specific language. You don't need to know HTML. You don't need to know Markdown. You can just get in there, start documenting things. It's a WYSIWYG editor, so what you see is what you get. It's like Google Docs or Word. You can copy and paste from Google Docs into Word, and it's very fast to just get things up there and publish them. Right, so it's sort of point and click. So you don't need a developer to get the first version of your knowledge base out there. So, I mean, part of it is just being easy to use. The other thing, you know, is that, you know, it's, you can organize it whatever way you want in Knowledge Owl. So like our product, you know, with some tools, you can only go like two or three levels deep or you have to pay to like organize. We don't, we, early on, we were like, people asked because they were limited in other things. We're like, we'll just let you do whatever you want. So if you want to nest things 10 levels deep in your knowledge base, you can go for it. So like there's really no restrictions. So you can sort of organize it whatever way it makes the most sense for you and for your customers. So being able to sort of organize things and then reorganize it any way you want is a big thing. And I think the biggest thing at the end of the day is like, can people find things? So because like what we do is you know, knowledge-based software, like the two big things that people use, like the big features that hopefully just work right out of the box is that we have a really good search and you know, that organization, how you structure it, like there are ways for people to see that and explore the knowledge base without it being a black box. Because I'm sure you've had the experience, you go to a site, you go to a help center and it's a search box and you're like, I don't know what to search for. Like, I want to see the categories. I want to explore on my own. I don't know what's in here. And, you know, giving people the tools to actually like explore the knowledge base and see the structure and poke around and see what's available. I think that's a really helpful tool for them. And that's all built in. So, you know, hopefully we make it really easy for you to set up your first knowledge base <laughs> looking for it. Or if you're like running into issues and you're like trying to solve things, like you want to create a knowledge base that, you know, has the structure you want, you know, hopefully you can do those things with knowledge also. We try to make it really easy um, for the people actually creating the knowledge bases. Nice. You mentioned something we have, you know, the most important things are really good search. I myself am a search bar fiend. I <laughs> always go to the search bar first. Like every single place I go, Google, like anywhere, mm -hmm. always search bar. Slack, I never click on the channels of the menu bar. I always use search bar. For tools that don't have very good search, I don't say good search, but make you set up good search manually, like right. doing SEO you within it. your knowledge base. Or like tagging, like a lot of people come to us and they're like, okay, so like, how do I 
to, you know, tag my articles and make them searchable. I'm like, you don't, they're just automatically indexed. Like, why would you have to do that? Like, it's, we just index it for search. You don't need to teach the search. You don't need to set up search. It just works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope that yeah. most searches would work that yeah. way. <laughs> you would think so, but like, I hear it from other people and they're like, wow, that's, in, that's, that's, that's impressive. But I guess people are stuck in certain tools and like train people certain ways. So you come in with like, you know, in your head, like you have to set up search. Yeah. So for those people who do have to set up search because it, it can be really tricky doing SEO yeah. for somebody who is maybe not a marketer, yeah. uh, how are you doing or how, what do you recommend for those people to get started with tagging right and kind of setting up search in a way that works? Yeah. That is a really interesting thing. Cause like there's sort of two, you know, when you're setting up a help center, many help centers are public. Many companies are like, we don't want our competitors seeing our stuff. So it's a private knowledge base. Less of an issue there. But what I will say, what I do tell people when they want to talk about, like, do I need to do this? Do I need to care about this? Even on a private knowledge base, the same things that you would do for SEO, for search engine optimization, for Google, will help your customers. Like, it's just a better experience for your customers. Because that's really what, like, SEO is about, is, like, trying to help the searchers get the information faster. So if you have a public knowledge base, which I always recommend because it's great for marketing, um, and you're not a marketer, there are some quick SEO tips. So like, and, and you don't need to like be an SEO expert. You can use chat GPT and just like ask it for help. But like, here's the big thing at, at the end of the day, like making sure when you like are naming your articles like be mindful of like what your customers are going to call things, right? Like what your customers are going to be searching for. And that's like, really that is like what are your customers going to be looking for because you might have like an obscure feature name and like your customers are not going to get there um if you just use your language and do not like include like the language that your customers actually use in there which you can find in support tickets like it's not too difficult to find it but like the big things for seo like your title tag if you can do this and a meta description so like your meta description is like a summary of your article of like what it's going to help and like when search when like search engines crawl the web they're like going to look for your title tag which is like what you think the you know it's just what's in the browser tab but that's like what you know uh, you know search thinks your article is about and your meta description which is a summary and that stuff gets indexed and is really used but like making sure like in your content you know that you're using like the keywords that your customers use um you can set up uh Google Search Console for free, right? Like it's just a tool you can use. You can put it into your help site and you can use it to monitor what are people searching for and like when they're getting to my knowledge base, what articles are they getting to? So you can get visibility into what, you know, people might be searching for to get to your knowledge base. I don't think it's a thing to stress about too much, but it is something to be mindful of. So if it is a public knowledge base and your tool has built in features for SEO, just make it part of your process. Because here's the thing yeah. is, it's easy when you're starting out to make sure when you create an article, make sure you look at your title tag, make sure you add a meta description. You know, there's some things to do for like just accessibility and help like your screenshots, make sure they have alt tags on them. Like there are some things you can do just to like make things nicer, make sure your URLs sort of match your article, right? That you're not like using just an obscure URL with numbers in it that doesn't mean anything because that's also meaningful to people in search engines. So you can build that sort of SEO work into your process. And like, if you look for like knowledge-based SEO, tons of great articles out there. Um, and it's not complicated, but what is complicated is if you don't pay attention to it at the beginning, and then you have a hundred or 300 or 700 articles and they're like, now it's time to do SEO. Now you have a big project on your hand to update a lot of articles <laughs> for, and optimize them for SEO. So 
you mentioned something as well, which is asking your, you really need an important title. Uh, mm -hmm. So I have a question. Yeah. Titles as statements or titles as questions? There's sort of two, there's sort of like different camps here. There's also the people that do gerund, do you do not gerund? Do you put the ing on your words or not? Like setting up your knowledge base, set up your knowledge. I mean, you can go and find a whole bunch of great debates on this in different like tech writer forums. Um, I think simple, I'm gonna go with simple is better. I I like having it as short as possible. Like we're all overwhelmed with information all the time. So like adding how do I before like everything or blah, 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 like that in the titles itself, like I'm not a fan because like when I like do a search or whatever, like I don't want a whole C because like you read from left to right. And if you start with the question, whatever is at the beginning of the title is sort of a throwaway. So like how do I or what is or, you know, blah, blah, blah they're looking for that keyword. So like if that keyword, and this is just good for SEO too, like we're getting in the weeds about this, but like if that word is closer to like the beginning of the title, people see it faster, right? Like they're looking for setup, like how do I, they're not looking for how do I, they're looking for setup, right? They're looking for like billing, you know, or like, you know, change billing information. The closer to the beginning of the title, your sort of like keyword or like the big thing it's about is, is the better. So I'm a fan of that inside the content i like the questions because here's the thing a good search and google search will pull in those questions so it will match what people are looking for so people can say oh i did have that question about it so i think questions are great inside the content i love going to help articles where like i'm on a topic and then i get down and then i see like the frequently asked questions in it and i'm like oh that's my question and i'm learning about the topic and there's my question i like the questions inside the articles i like the title of the article to be straightened to the point uh, <laughs> I, I, love it. I love it <laughs> i love how you're immediately like this is a really controversial topic <laughs> oh my yes i mean this is things I didn't know however many years I've been doing this for a while talking about knowledge bases like it's it's going on almost 10 years now like it's like I read like all day every day I'm like diving into the world of technical writers and the level of detail like the things that, that technical writers think about it's fascinating and I love the debates that go on it's very fun but these nice. are things you might not know but you can learn about them when you join these communities because there's lots of people doing this like I I think that's the other thing is you oftentimes feel alone Right. Like when you you're in support, like you're an expert at helping people, you're really great at customer service. And you're like, I don't know how to set up help center. I've never set up a help center. I don't even like doing documentation. That's like me. Right. Like, where do you start? There are amazing communities out there. There's like support driven and there's a knowledge management channel. And there's some amazing humans in there that just love to jump in and help you. And I got a big plug. Uh, I love if you like the support driven community, it's like a nice, inclusive, warm, friendly community. Write the Docs is another one. And Write the Docs is for people who care about software documentation. But it's not just software documentation. Like other people join in who care about documentation. They call everybody documentarians. But there are so many people that love to jump in and help. And that's a really great Slack community that can provide really good resources on setting up your first help center. I love it. I love it. I think that's also one of the reasons why I'm doing this. It's really the further the community and really being able to help out and give back and share that knowledge as well. I think the more that you can find people where you're not alone in it, you're like, hey, I have other people who are going through the yep. same thing. It 
that alone is such a big help to be able to you know, keep pushing forward and kind of break through some of these barriers that you're facing. People are happy to give you advice. You just need to ask. Yeah, them. it's amazing what happens when you just ask. <laughs> you're not alone. You're not alone. So we talked about one controversial topic. I have maybe another. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. So how would you recommend with such a push for AI and knowledge management and support someone to use it and when it might apply to help center. I know that people are really eager to get their hands on it. Like I'm going to create a help center. I'm going to get started. AI is going to be so helpful, but what is the level at which it's impacting knowledge management and kind of this creation? Well, it's chicken and egg, right? Because like these AI tools, especially if you want to use them for deflection or like, you know, customer engagement or help it with an agent enablement, you need the knowledge base to train the AI. So like it needs the content. So here's the thing, like invest in your knowledge base and like get that done because like all of these tools and like they're getting better and better all the time, they learn from the content. So you still need to do the content. Now the chicken and the egg thing is you can use AI to help you create content. And this is, you know, AI, I know there's a lot of controversy over AI created content, but here's what's not controversial. Some people hate writing documentation. I think one of the previous, like big debates in you know help centers is video or text, right? Like you go to some help centers and you just see videos. Like here's a video on this, here's a video on this. And if I go to a help site like that, I'm like, ugh, because you know what I hate doing? Watching videos. I'm coming around, but like I just want to read it because I can more quickly get to what I'm looking for. I just want to read things and like find the thing that I need to unblock me. I just need an answer. I like text. Some people do not want to read text. They just want to watch the video. So like for years, this has been a debate is what do you do? Um, and I, this, is my, this is my one big recommendation for people who hate writing docs. You know, I like just talking to people and sharing people and showing them how to do this. You can use any tool like Loom or whatever to like record yourself doing things. And AI will just generate the transcript for you. You can take that transcript and like throw it into ChatGPT and it can be like, can you turn this into a help article? And then you have a help article that's like 80% of the way there. It might be wrong in certain places, but then you're just editing it and not writing from scratch. So you can use AI right now to like unblock you from like, I hate writing documentation or this is hard. Hey, I, you know what I do all the time? I keep answering one-on-one -on -one support emails. Like I'm giving someone an answer in a support email. And when I go to answer it again, I'm like going and referencing that old support email to like pull things that I already written, put it in here. Guess what? You can take that old support email, throw it into like an AI tool and like have it write you a doc. And then you can take that doc and put it in there. You know, I think a lot of people get blocked on writing because it seems like this big thing and it needs to be super polished and it's like hard to get started or like it's easy to write for one person. It's hard to write to the many. But those tools, those AI tools can really help you. And I think that would be, if I was starting over again, like for my own documentation, I would do the videos, I would like transcribe them and then I would put that in there. Because like my hardest part is actually writing the docs because like it just takes me so long because I like overthink everything with it. But like AI doesn't overthink, it just spits things out. And then I can just edit it to make it better. I don't remember what the original controversial nice. statement was. It was AI, AI was controversial. Yeah, I'm like, video, video is controversial, right? Like some people hate video, some people love video, but Indeed. video is helpful. Indeed. So we've decided we're gonna make some help center articles. We're gonna make docs. We've chosen the tool, we've built it out. We've decided our personas, our journey, 
maybe we use AI speckled in, we're doing some SEO. How do you know when it works? Number one thing for me that I know that knowledge base is successful is if for whatever reason the knowledge base is not available and your support team loses their mind, right? Like, I don't know if you've had this experience, but like the knowledge base is down and support is like, oh my goodness, what do we do? Right? That's how you know that it's useful because people internally are using it to do their jobs, right? Like if you create a resource that people are relying on and like they're the people, you know, often closest to you that you can see and know are using it. If you like build that thing so that you're using it and your team is using it, like your customers will be using it too, right? Like, so like for me, that's that's often one of the things to be like, yes. So like if, if anything goes wrong with a knowledge base and people are immediately letting you know, you know that it's being used. So yes, there's data you can set up to track. Is it being used, right? Like you can set up Google Analytics on a knowledge base. Like a lot of them have built-in tools. And I think a big thing, um, and a lot of analytics tools will do this, it's not just like, it, I mean, just like overall views, but those returning visitors, right? Like how many people that are using your knowledge base are coming back there, you know? And like, it's hard because like, sometimes like people don't need the knowledge base all the time. So like maybe that, you know, they come there once a year and that solves their problem and that's well and good and it's absolutely doing their job. So metrics can get a little bit tricky with a knowledge base. So that's why like the internal team using it because they're supporting the customers, like they're the ones that you should see returning all the time and using it. That's why I like to use that as a proxy for like, is the knowledge base solving the problems? Um, the other really useful thing I would love to set up very early on, especially if you're in the setting up your first knowledge base thing is I love the graph of, here's how many customers we have, here's how many support requests we have, here's how many knowledge articles we have. So like, I love seeing that over time because what your goal is with self-service is you wanna scale your number of customers without scaling how much support you're getting, right? So like, and like figuring out like where your docs are in there. So like, it's often just times those two metrics is like how many support requests are you getting? How many customers do you have? What's that ratio? And can you keep it low? right with your self-service stuff like in those knowledge because like that's something that's like an end metric you can look at to see if it's solving problems almost wanted to plateau a little bit right like our customer yeah, and they is growing really, our support I'm, requests are plateauing yeah. i don't know if it's on video i don't know if this is gonna be a video podcast <laughs> like i'm showing the thing i'm showing the graph i want to see um that's yeah, perfect that's, i think that's a great one but it's like something it's only something you're gonna see in retrospect so like just setting it up over time so that in the future you can look at it but like on a you know on a day-to-day -day, a week-to-week -week, a month-to-month -month, it's a little bit harder i don't focus on the metrics like focus on like one thing we do internally at knowledge Owl, um we have a field in help scout and the question is like documentation coverage on the conversation like we want to know was it solved by docs was it solved by docs and like we track it so what was it was it solved by docs do the docs need to get updated, right? Like, do we need to create docs? Do we need an internal doc? So we have a field that we're tracking and we make it, we force it so that we don't forget to do it. And then once a month, our support and docs team, like we get together and we go through those conversations. And because you can't document everything, we just go through and pick some from each category and say like, okay, what what doc, what doc documentation needs to happen? What things need to get updated? You know, like what things were solved by docs so that we can sort of see that. So not only can you see like, what is your coverage, but you can help identify opportunities, right? For improvement without necessarily doing everything because you're not gonna be able to do everything. But that's sort of our current I, process I, and that's worked well. I'm implementing that field today. <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> that's a good one.
it's gonna but, happen i'm bringing it <laughs> yeah and you know like it, it's stressful to know like okay which one of the docs should like wh which one should we focus on fixing right like if something needs docs or whatever what should we do we don't like make the decision like we don't like compare things or do anything crazy we just in our meeting we we have a spreadsheet and we like number things and we're like pick a number between 20 and like 30, 73 and people will pick a number and that's the ones like we just do a couple of each and it's random and it just takes the decision making off of it and it just makes sure that we're just improving without like stressing too much about which things because there's you know we can make things really complicated but simplicity we're going back to the simplicity I mean, thing going yeah <laughs> i was gonna say going back to the beginning yeah. of the conversation which is perfect yeah. because we've gone through the whole journey now right and i think the yeah. biggest thing to keep in mind when you're getting started with something like building your first help center or v2 or something keep it simple and just get the ball rolling just get started get it out there keep it simple and get advice if you need it talk to people in the community happy to help 100 percent. thank you so much mary beth i really appreciate it taking the time to have this conversation and help other people hopefully set up their their docs and everything 100 percent. this was fun we should do it again <laughs> this was great thank you so much you're welcome have a good day. <laughs> you as well. See ya. This is like when you like cut off the podcast at some point. You're like, oh and yeah, at some point it's just. <laughs> <We'll edit it. laughs>